and dive into our sermon this morning. If you have a Bible with you, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 4? If you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be a red one nearby, and we want you to use this. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible at home, take this home with you, uh, use it, uh, read it. We love getting the Word of God into people's hands. If you are using that red Bible, Ephesians 4 is on page 569. Uh, the past couple weeks, we've been doing a sermon series on what we call the pillars of Story Church. And these are the foundational values that hold up everything that we do. Uh, we've looked at uh, these three words, and you'll see them in the bulletins or out in the lobby or online as well. Uh, these are the words, uh, restful, rooted, and real. And the first week we looked at restful, and we said that we believe that the gospel provides the rest that our soul has desperately been longing for. That we just get so tired going from experience to experience, identity to identity, belief after belief, trying to find something that will truly satisfy our soul. But it is the gospel of Jesus alone that God looked at us and loved us and sent his son to live in our place and to die in our place, and that through a relationship with him, our souls can find rest and we can live forever with him. So that's, that's the first pillar, restful. We want to be a church that offers that rest to ourselves and to our neighbors. And then secondly, last week, we looked at rooted. And what we said about rooted was that we believe that God has so placed us in the communities that we're living in, to be rooted and established there for the sake of making disciples of all nations starting in our backyard. We said that the Christians tend to either uh, isolate themselves from community or assimilate themselves and become just like community, and that neither of those work. Instead, we are sent into to live among our communities proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. This week, we're looking at our last value, which is real. And uh, by real, we mean this. We mean authentic, genuine, and with substance. You know, it's the opposite of something being empty or fake or unimportant or meaningless. And when we say real, I think everyone in this room understands, like, we all want to be real people. We want to be authentic and genuine. No one wants to be a hypocrite where we say we're one thing or believe a certain thing and then our lives look different. No one, no one actually wants to. I know we tend to do that sometimes, but no one wants to be inauthentic. And we want to be part of a group, a community that is meaningful and purposeful. It's actually doing something for the sake of those around us, for the betterment of this world. We want to be part of something real. And that's what we're going to look at this morning in Ephesians chapter 4. In Paul's letter, this, this six-chapter letter, he has spent the first three chapters just laying out a bunch of doctrine of, of who God is, who, who Jesus is, and what he's done for us, what, what is true of us when we believe in Jesus. He, he's laid out all of these things in three chapters of everything that's true of who God is, that, that we we're dead in our sins, but through faith in him are made alive in Christ. And that's all, that's all sort of good things to know. But then in chapter 4, he pivots. 
He says, in light of that truth, here's what it means for your daily life. Here's what it means to have real change, to have real life, to have real relationships in light of what's true. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. In light of the mercies of God, what does it mean to be real? And we're going to look at uh, three things that this passage says that produces uh, real, real things for us. And so if you're following along with notes and want to know where we're going, we're going to see in this passage that the gospel enables us to have real maturity, real community, and real intimacy. Real maturity, real community, and real intimacy. Let's read Ephesians chapter 4. We're just going to look at two verses, verses 15 and 16. Paul says this, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for all that you've done for us to rescue us and save us and redeem us and begin to restore us. Lord, let us take what's true of that and let's apply it to our lives so that we can be real, really mature in community and experience intimacy with you, Father. In your son's name we pray. Amen. People say, and you've probably heard this before, that it takes about 10,000 hours for someone to practice something long enough before they reach perfection. Whether that's a, a hobby or a, an instrument or a job or what have you, it takes 10,000 hours. And I looked that up. That's 417 days straight of practicing. Uh, so we need a bass player. So if someone would begin practicing now to play bass, on January 12th of 2022, you can join us for a worship band. I'm so excited. So begin practicing now. That's 417 days, 10,000 hours of practice. The, there's a pastor in, in New York City, Tim Keller, and he says that for pastors, don't worry, but your first 200 sermons are going to be awful. And, you know, that's a little discouraging, I apologize for you all starting out with Story Church now. It'll be a while before I get good. Uh, but it, it is encouraging. It, it's, you know, he's saying it's going to take a long time for you to find your voice. It's going to take a long time for you to learn how to read the text in such a way that you can apply it to people's lives. It's, it's going to take years to figure out who your people are and to give them what their souls desperately need. It'll take time to practice and grow. We all know that none of us are born experts in any field. We all know it takes time to learn. And that's why we've got, uh, you know, trainings and orientations when you start a new job. Because there's a learning curve. You have to take the time to learn. That's why we sit in lecture classes to learn new information, to learn our knowledge. This is the same thing with our Christian life, too. No one is born mature. We grow up. 
We, we grow like a child who is learning how to ride a bike. One day you don't know how to ride it, and then you practice and practice and practice, and you, you fail and you fall and you hurt yourself, but you get back up and practice and practice, and then one day you can ride a bike. Paul says in verse 15 that we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Becoming like Christ, becoming mature, really mature in Christ takes time. It is a process. And this is both encouraging and a word of caution. Look, it's encouraging because maybe you don't always have the, the, the pretty, rosy, beautiful days of being a Christian. Some days they're hard and there's a struggle and there's weakness and failure and fear and doubt. But growing up in Christ is a process, and that should be a word of encouragement, that he who began a good work in you will continue it until it is completed. But it's also a word of caution. It is a process that we have to work at. And so just by sitting in church or being a Christian for so many years does not automatically produce Christian Maturity. You can't just come and sit and think that just by being present, you become mature. Look, I sat through plenty of calculus classes in college, and I still failed three times and had to change my major. I didn't put the work into it. I didn't learn what I needed to learn, and I didn't grow in my knowledge. It's the same with growing in Christ. We can't just come and sit and think by sitting here, we're growing into maturity. It is a process that we are invited into to work on. So how do we do it? What does it look like to have real Christian maturity? Well, Paul says in verse 15 that we are growing up through speaking the truth in love. He says this right after he's saying that you're hearing all these other messages of truth. All these other messages of doctrine that are, that are tossing you about from here and there. And some of you are believing them, but you need to stop. Rather, speak the truth in love. Like I've said this before, just go to, you know, look, look around the next time you're in the checkout aisle of, at the magazine covers. We are surrounded by messages that are trying to tell us what's true about the world. Hey, hey, eat this diet and you'll look like this and then you'll get their attention and you'll be successful and then you'll make money and then you'll be sexy and then you'll do wh whatever it is. We are surrounded by messages that say, hey, do this and then you'll get what you've always wanted. But Paul says the path to maturity is through speaking the truth in love. So what does it mean to speak the truth? Well, it's the word of God. Speaking the, the word of God. And who are we to do that to? Well, first, to ourselves. Look, how are we going to combat the lies that this world is telling us daily unless we know in our heart what the truth is from God's word? We need to meditate on it. We, we need to trust it. We need to go to it again and again. I'm not going to tell you how to do that, but I would encourage you, Find a regular time in your daily lives to draw near to God's word. If you don't have a Bible at home that it makes sense to you, take home the red one. Or if the print's too small, tell me and we'll get you a larger print. Find 
the word of God for yourself. Spend time in it. Meditate on it. And look, if you've never done that before, start with the Gospels, the stories of Jesus. They'll be familiar to you. They read really easy like a story. Start with Jesus. But surround yourself with the word of God. Meditate on it so that when you do hear those messages from the world, when you do hear the lies and the accusations from that little voice in your head and your heart, you will be ready with the word of God spoken in love. But don't just start there and, and end there. Paul says that, that we are surrounded by great doctrines that are teaching us false things. Build yourself up in the knowledge of the Son of God. Don't just read about Jesus, but study him, learn him, dive deep into the Bible. Know what God's word is for you and for this world. Starting in the new year, we're going to implement a, a, a multi-week class. I, I don't know how we're going to do it yet, but we're doing it. And it's going to be a, a walking through the fundamentals of the faith. And that'll be a great opportunity to build up our knowledge of the Son of God so that our hearts can be more and more in love with him and that we can bat the lies of this world and what the accuser is saying to us. So yes, yeah, speak truth of lo in love to yourself, but also speak it to your neighbors. Earlier in this chapter, Paul says that it's not just the, the paid staff of the church who are called to do ministry, but the entire saints of the church are equipped to do ministry. We're, we're, we're the ones who are called to go to our neighbors and to speak truth in love to them. And that in love is so important. It's so easy for us to take the word of God and sort of beat it over people and say, you have to submit to this. You have to obey this. But Paul says, speak it to them gently and in love. Offer it to them it is rest for their souls and then plead with them to receive it themselves and do it all in love. But then third, we are to speak truth in love to one another. And that's what this whole passage is about, is about being united together as the people of God. And so we are to speak the truth to one another. We, we've got groups that they're on hiatus now, but our story groups and our discipleship groups are great opportunities to not just meet one another in the church, but to grow in relationship with them so that we have the opportunity to speak the truth and love to them. But don't just rely on those groups. No, get to know people outside of the walls of this building. Hey, grab coffee with people, invite people over for a meal get their phone number and text them. Learn to speak the truth. Words of encouragement, words of grace, words of forgiveness to one another. We desperately need it. So if you don't yet have someone or a group to belong to where you're hearing the word of God and speaking the word of God, Paul says we need that. Only when we begin to speak the truth in love will we grow into real maturity. And that's what the gospel enables us to do. But not only in this passage do we see what real maturity looks like, we also see what real community looks like. As we speak the truth in love, it'll inevitably lead to real community. Throughout this chapter, and actually in many places in the New Testament, Paul will use the illustration of a body, the human body, to describe who the church is 
you know, body with all of its different parts and functions and, and purposes. That's what Paul says we are like the body of Christ. And in verse 16, Paul says that when the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part of the body is working together, it makes the body grow. So how we grow in maturity is if is when we are real community. And this is what real community is. He says it. It's everybody included, everybody involved, and everybody intertwined. He says the whole body joined together, doing its part. Let me walk through what each of these mean. Real community happens when everyone is included. We need the whole body. Every part. Look, the hand can't say to the eye, I don't need you. The, the head can't say to the foot, I don't need you. We need every single part of the body of Christ in order to function. Look, we launched Story Church back in September. And for a lot of you, that was your first time actually coming to something that we've done as a church. And some of you had joined since then. But that's not when this church began. This idea of planting a church in Mayfield started over a year ago. And there are some people who are part of Story Church now who I met even last September and August, and they've been connected since then. You know, first we started out as just, you know, hardly friends at all, just interested in joining a church in the area. And then we grew into friendships and we started Bible study and prayer groups and had dinners together and started casting vision for what this could be. And then we did community groups and we did online things. And then we did outdoor praise and worship things in the park. And then we did preview services. And then finally, on September 20th, we launched. But that was after a lot of hard work that got put into it before. And here's what I think might be happening. Look, there are some of you who have recently joined the church, but there's some of you who have been part of this church for such a long time now. And I fear that maybe in our hearts we think, if you've been part of us for a while, you look at some of the newer people and say, I don't know if we need them. We've been doing fine on our own. And here's what Paul, I think, is saying to us. We need everyone to be part of this church for it to grow into maturity. We need people, the people who have been here for a year, and we need the people who have been here for a week. And we cannot say to ourselves, we're doing fine as we are. We don't need them. And look, if you are newer, I'm so glad that you have been coming to us. And I want you to know, we need you. We are not the church that God has called us to be unless you are a part of this church. And so we need you to be included. And I apologize if, if I have failed to get you involved, to get you included, to make you feel welcomed. We need to be a church that is always opening up our arms and welcoming new people. We need to be a church that exists not only for us to remind ourselves of the grace of God, but we exist for those who are not yet a part of us. That always needs to be part of our goal. And so we need everyone to be included, but not just that. 
yes, we need to be included, but Paul says everyone needs to be involved. He says that when every part is working together, then it makes the body grow. When every part is working together, that word is actually the word that we get the word choreography from. And it's this idea that there's many different parts happening at the same time and different steps to the music and dancing around. And, and a good choreographer designs it in such a way that it's beautiful. Everyone is working together at the right time. Everyone knows what to do and when to do it. The body grows itself up when everyone is not only included but involved and working together. Look, we've got three servant teams on Sunday mornings, the worship team setting up and tearing down and playing and singing. We, we've got our welcome team inviting people in and connecting people to the life of the church. We've got our story kids team sharing the love of Jesus with our kids. We've got opportunities to serve, to get involved. And if you're not yet on one of those servant teams, we'd love to get you connected. But not just that. Look, the Bible is filled with these lists of these gifts that God has given to his people for the sake of building up the church. We see um, gifts of faith, gifts of encouragement, gifts of discernment, gifts of teaching, of giving. All of these gifts that God has given to us is for the sake of building up the church. We need everybody involved. Finally, real community means that everyone is intertwined. Like our muscles and our ligaments and our bones are connected all over our body, so too is the body of Christ intertwined and connected. Like, like a beautiful tapestry with threads that are interlocked with one another and beside each other and dependent on one another, that it is not the beautiful tapestry without everyone together. We are intertwined. We are called to be a people whose lives are enmeshed in one another's lives, to know what is going on, to know when the other person is hurting or celebrating. We are called to be intertwined with one another. Hey, friends, when you and your spouse are arguing and have a bad day, who can you go to to find respite and help and encouragement? Hey, when your children just are getting under your skin and you are ready to explode, who can you turn to to help calm you down and give you words of life? Hey, when you've been having a hard time at work and you go home and you've been drinking too much trying to deal with it, who do you have in your life that is safe and not judgmental who you can call up and say, hey, man, I'm struggling? We are called to be intertwined into one another's lives. And only then will we grow as the body of Christ. Like a beautiful tapestry, we're called to be a real community that is intertwined in one another's lives. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. There is no such thing as an individual relationship with Jesus. Yeah, you can have a personal relationship with Jesus. That's what we need from him. By faith, we have that. But there is no such thing as an individual relationship with Jesus. When you come to Jesus, you come to a community, a body that is intertwined with one another. John Calvin 
said this, if we want to be considered members of Christ's body, let no man be anything for himself, but let us all be whatever we are for the benefit of one another. We have this great opportunity to be a real community that speaks truth and love to one another, that is including everyone that comes to us, that's involving everyone that comes, and that is intertwined in the life of one another. That is what a beautiful, real community looks like. But let's be honest, community can be hard, and at times it can be scary. And that's why we need real intimacy. And here's what I mean. Many people don't like community because they've been a part of something like that before, and it's hurt them. Maybe someone took advantage of them. Uh, maybe someone you know, said something that hurt them. Maybe they've you know, opened up and someone sort of rejected them. People don't like community. It's not easy. It takes work, and sometimes it can be hard. But if you are resisting community because you think that community is messy and it hurts, I want you to know that community does not create sin. It merely exposes sin that's already there. When a bridge is an old bridge, over time, as the weather heats up and cools, the materials flex. And as rain comes, it gets into the cracks, and then if it freezes, it expands and begins to break, and then it comes back again. And over time, little micro-fractures exist in that bridge. You can't see them, but they're there. And if there's enough fractures in the bridge, if a truck heavy enough goes over that bridge, it will collapse. And we might all think that the bridge collapsed because the truck was heavy, but the truck did not create the cracks. It merely exposed the brokenness. And that's the same with community. When we go into community, it does not create the problems. It merely exposes the brokenness that is already there in our lives. This is the same with community. To be in real community will expose real sin, real pain, real hurt, and real problems. Our fear is that those things would be exposed and that we'd be known for who we really are and that it's hard to be real with one another, investing in that community because we're scared. What would people think if they knew who we were? Look, intimacy is being known and being loved, and we all want that. But it's hard because the more we let ourselves be known, the deeper our fear is that people won't love us. If there was some kind of contraption that I could hook up to your brain this morning, that we could connect it to the overhead, and that on the wall behind us we could see all of your thoughts, all of your dreams, all of your memories, all of your fantasies and your fears, for us all to see, you would run away. Why? Because no one really wants to be that known. Because if Everyone knew everything like that about you, and the fear is that no one would love us. That's why it's so hard to be both known and loved. This past year, uh, there was a popular Christian comedian. You probably know him, John Christ. And he was found to have been engaged in uh, sexually abusive relationships. And I, I'm only bringing this up 
because he has been very public about this. And so I'm not saying anything that he hasn't said about his experience. But he did say this when he was found out. He said, my entire career has been lived out on stage. And even though I've shared many of my life struggles with my audiences, I have lived in constant fear of the darkest parts of my life being exposed publicly. My greatest fear has been that those who have loved me and supported me would hate me if they knew everything about me. Is that a fear of yours? I said earlier that real community means that people are intertwined with one another, and when that happens, those darkest parts of your heart will be exposed. Maybe that's why you've been running from community. Are you afraid of being known? The only way we can experience real maturity and real community is if we experience and enjoy real intimacy. Being known and loved. And that can't come from a spouse, although that certainly helps. That can't come from friends, although that certainly supports it. The only place that we can find real intimacy is in a personal relationship with Jesus. Only he knows everything that you've ever done. And only he loves you absolutely. Look, he knows when you rise and when you fall. He, he knows what's on your heart when you're driving by yourself down the road. He knows what you do when no one else is around. He knows what you dream about when you're lying in bed. He knows your every thought. And he did not cast you away. He came to you. And he loved you. He stepped down out of heaven and lived this perfect life. The, the life that you and I could only dream about living. He lived that perfect life before his heavenly father and went to the cross saying, I know who you are. I know what you've done. I know what you think. I know what you feel. And I love you the same. And I will die for you. Look, it is our sin that was upon him on the cross. He knows who he was dying for. He knew why he was dying. It was for us. It is our sin upon his shoulders. As he hung there, he knew who he was dying for, for you and for me. He knew why he was dying, to forgive us our sins, because he loved us. That, friends, is real intimacy, completely known and absolutely loved. No one besides Jesus offers us that kind of intimacy. And only when we experience that intimacy for ourselves can we begin to experience all that God wants to do through us, growing us into maturity, growing us up into community. Look, it's a secure relationship. There's no fear of being cast aside when we open ourselves up to God. There's no fear that he'll reject us because of what Jesus has done for us. Only when we experience the forgiveness that we have in Jesus on the cross are we able to really have community, to go to one another and say, look, I'm failing, I'm struggling, I'm really losing it. Speak truth to me. Speak love to me. I need that. 
Only when we experience the intimacy that we have in Jesus can we be a community of grace that knows forgiveness, not only for ourselves and one another, but as we invite our neighbors to experience the story of Jesus, that is what they desperately need to. They need to know in their hearts that God, yes, he sees everything they've done, but yes, he loves them and sent his son to die for them. At Story Church, we want to be a community that offers rest to people because that's what they desperately need. And God has given that through his son, Jesus. We also want to be a community that's rooted here in Mayfield Heights and the surrounding communities because we want to be here for them, our neighbors, so that they would become disciples of Jesus and enter into the story that God is unfolding here. And we want to be a community that is real, real with one another, seeing real life change ourselves, being real with one another. And that's only possible when we experience that real intimacy that Jesus offers us, that he demonstrated and proved to us when he died on the cross. That's what we want to be here at Story Church. Those are the foundations on which we do everything that we do. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we know that you know everything about us. And although that should scare us, Lord, we know that that is a joyful knowledge because you also absolutely love us. Let us enjoy that experience, that relationship, that intimacy with you, and let it overflow, Lord, as we grow up ourselves in the knowledge of the Son, and as we build one another up in real community. Father, through your Spirit, make us real. Make us who you want us to be. Draw us near to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.